Praise the Lord. Well, I may be uh, towering over him, but he's as tough as a boot, let me tell you. And uh, I, I love Brother and Sister Brooks. Our, our relationship does go back at least 32 years that I can account for. And so it's just such a joy uh, to be with you all. In fact, we feel like we're home when we're here because I have about a 15-minute drive from my house. No airports, no hotels. You don't know what that means. And then these last many years, Pastor, for us to be able to come on Father's Day, to be with my son and his family and my daughter today and my grandkids is just a treat. I can't tell you how many years, probably at least 20 or 25 years, I was never home on Father's Day because I had to be out ministering. So this is a treat uh, beyond words. This is brilliant. When I, um, and here's what Sister Brooks told me. She said, now if you're still preaching, Perky, at five till 12, I want everybody to open these up and start crunching down on those, on those treats and that'll shut you down. I said, it sure will. So you've got permission at five till 12, if I'm still going for some reason, you can get those, uh, those goldfish right there, start crunching down on those and, and that'll do the trick. And it also gives me a wonderful gift for my grandkids today. These will not survive the day. And so, so thankful. You know, I'm uh, thankful for what God is doing in the women's ministries through Oklahoma. Susie has truly seen a, a revival that has come to our state. And you saw the advertisement earlier in September. Ladies, please register, get in on the, the discounted rates that are there for you early. But Susie, would you come share a word with us and give her a hand, would you please, as she comes to share something with you this morning. Amen. Well, good morning, and one of our favorite churches, and we love you, and some of you don't know us, but we know many of you and uh, have wonderful friends here. Um, your youth pastor's wife, Claudia, is one of my admins, and where is Melissa Flores this morning? Melissa is now helping me as well. Bless you, Melissa, I've been looking for you. And we just have so many friends, so many wonderful friends. Um, and thank you, Julie Pierce, for all you do with the women. You've got a fantastic women's director here. And of course, led by your pastor's wife who has trained many a, a young, she's, she's, she's uh, a mentor to many. And we love you, Linda and pastor. Such an honor to work with your pastor. He's a prince. Yes, I get to work with all the princes mm -hmm. of the Lord on the presbytery. And I really mean that. It's just, we have fun. We never really argue. We just, we just get the Lord's business done without the spirit of strife. That's rare now. And um, we've just got great leadership here in Oklahoma, and you've got great leadership in this church. And we were visiting in the office just prior to coming out, and my husband and I, we've noted through the years that you have such a wonderful group of men. And I think that's a direct uh, result of the strong leadership that you have in Pastor Brooks and all of his staff. Um, per capita, I mean, you know, you just have a large group. Most, a lot of churches don't have that. It's, and I love the women, you know that, but a lot of churches just have more women. And so, not so here. That's a great reflection on your leadership once again. I wanted to say that on Father's Day. Uh, amen. But we just are feeling the presence of the Lord. I, I um, just felt the, the things shift here 
as we went into that last little set. And I, I, I sense that the Lord wants to move in today and touch people. Yes. I know that there's a lot of needs, and I know that we're living in a society that's spiraling down. Can you just wave a little hand? And we are not in fear over it, but we, we are concerned, and we are crying out to the Lord, deliver us like Egypt, like the Israelites in Egypt. And I found a little reading that I wanted to share, been reading this the last few weeks, and I just want to encourage you. Can I just encourage you, church? Amen. So did Abraham understand what God was doing on Mount Moriah? Did Moses understand what God was doing when he led the people to a waterless desert? Did Gideon understand what God was doing when he reduced his army to 300? Did David understand what God was doing when his son seized his throne? Did Jehoshaphat understand what God was doing when he commanded that the choir march first into battle, the choir? Did the widow of Zarephath understand what God was doing when Elijah demanded her last meal? Did Paul understand what God was doing when he left him in jail for years on end, the apostle Paul? Did Mary and Martha understand what God was doing when Lazarus, their brother, died? And did the servants understand what Jesus was doing when he commanded them to fill six water pots with water, his first miracle? What of the martyred legions in Hebrews 11, friends? Did they understand what God was doing when they were flogged, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, put to death by the sword, had to wear masks, had to quarantine. You following me? Do you understand what God is doing right now in your life and circumstances? Probably not. But in seeking to understand, we're missing the very heart of the Christian faith because it's not about complete understanding, beloved. It's about five little letters, T-R-U-S-T. Can you say it with me? Trust. It's not about understanding, it's about, say it with me, trust. Amen, that's such a good reminder. I'm just absorbing that today. Jeremiah 17, seven says, blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord, who puts their confidence in him. Let us pray. Father, thank you today for the exhortation from many examples in the word of God that have gone before us, our heroes of the faith were spared a life of ease. Forgive us when we expect to have a life of ease. Lord, we are among the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they persecuted you, Lord, they'll persecute us. And we're ready to stand for your name today. May every person in the sound of my voice in this room come up higher spiritually and forget about understanding and give you their trust today as the word of God is opened. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. We sure love you. God bless.
Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles, if you would please, and let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, the message I want to bring to all of us today, and in particular our fathers, is the Father's greatest weapon is the sword of the Spirit. And uh, this thought came to me as I was reflecting, as I always do, on this very special weekend on my wonderful father. And uh, he's been gone uh, here this next week, nine years. And uh, it's really flying by quickly, isn't it, Pastor? I know you feel the same with your wonderful dad. He was a prince. And um, I, I was thinking about him today and, and the, the, the thoughts of all that he did, that he exemplified, at the way he affirmed his sons. Uh, all of these things just were so wonderful. But, you know, every morning of my life, my dad was sitting in a chair in the living room with a little lamp on because sometimes early in the morning the sun had not yet risen and that lamp was needed to read and he had his Bible open and little reading glasses down on the end of his nose and he started every day in the Word. That kind of impact never leaves you. You don't think much about it as a kid. You're growing up, oh, dad's reading. You go in there and do your thing, go to school, you know, come home from football or basketball or baseball practice and everything's just normal. But it, it just, as, as I just hit the age of 60 a few days ago, everything like this means more to me than it ever has before. And so I want to bring to your attention today, dads, this wonderful word that I believe the Lord has given me for you today. And I pray it'll be a blessing. Ephesians chapter six, let's begin reading verse 10. Let's read about the armor of God. You know, when I was thinking about the sword of the spirit, it first of all is an offensive weapon. Some of the weapons in the armor of God are defensive weapons, weapons that you put on to, to protect yourself from your enemy who would be coming against you. But a sword is not for defense, a sword is for offense. And so most men, we, we all kind of have a similar DNA. Not everybody has the same likes and hobbies, I know, but most of us, we, we like weapons. Um, it, it may just be a pocket knife, but you know, I've collected them in my travels. I've got beautiful knives from Spain and Italy and Germany and the US just from my travels. I've had the privilege of purchasing this or that just to add to something that I enjoy. I, I've enjoyed going out to a range or out to pastor's place firing that gun of mine for a few rounds and laughing and carrying on and asking him when I'm gonna to get to come over for his famous ribs. That answer has not yet come to me, but I'm still believing God for an answer. And so I, I love weapons. I love the guns that I have. I love to hunt. I love to shoot. And, and most men, we, we kind of have that similar DNA, but there is a weapon above all weapons. And it is the powerful sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, 
with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, which is the word, uh, uh, the helmet of salvation, and here it is, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Father, thank you for speaking to us these next few moments. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. You've all heard of the Barna Group, I assume. The Barna Group is a group that gives us statistics that are extremely accurate. They've been well-renowned over many decades. And through this season that we have experienced, and we're, we're obviously not out of the woods yet, but we have found out some things that were very uh, alarming. Let me just share a couple of things. I'm not gonna bore you with stats. I'm not really that kind of preacher, but let me just tell you that we've, we've lost some people in the shuffle when it comes to attending church, faithful to church. I wish so much my mom and dad could have experienced COVID. Why? Because my mom and dad would have been very verbal about where is everybody? Where are my friends? When, when did we let anything like this keep us out of serving the Lord and attending his house? You know, I, I can just hear them because, I mean, a tornado could be on the ground when we were being raised and we were there early for prayer meeting. Uh, it, just the way it was. And so the baby boomers, those who were born between 1946 and 1964, that would be my wife and I, 26% of baby boomers stopped attending church in these last many months. 11% switched churches, 40% stayed at the same church. Then there's the Gen Xers born from 1965 to 1980, 35% have stopped attending church altogether, 17% switched churches, 31% stayed at the same church. Then we have the millennials, those born between 1981 and 1996, that would be our son and daughter, 50% of their friends have stopped attending church. 8% switched churches and 30% stayed at the same church. You see, this season has been one of pandemic and protest and riots and political upheaval and, and um, uncertain uh, economic situations. And some people are still struggling as we speak. Some are still struggling with isolation, others with their health, others with loss of work and keeping their families afloat. But there is one thing that seems to be facing us like no other battle we have faced present or previously, and that is our mental health or our state of mind. And so we see where the church attendance is dropped off. My son has said to me more than once, Dad, some of the friends I have grown up with, some of the friends that sat just right over here in the service or, or sat right over there with their wife and their kids, I look over there and they did not switch, but they did not ever come back because they got in this vicious habit of just watching it on their phone and never taking the discipline that it took to get up and get ready and get those kids ready and get that breakfast fixed and do whatever it took to get to the house of the Lord. The, the devil sold us a bill of goods and we bought it, and we bought it. And the number of deaths by suicide in the US yearly is 50,000, but right now they can't keep proper tabs on that number because they have escalated to an all-time high. I'll never forget, in January, every January, I spend a couple of weeks in the San Francisco Bay Area in two of our great Pentecostal churches. And uh, I was there in January as usual, and a family of seven, a husband and wife and their five beautiful kids came up to me and 
This guy could go bear hunting with a switch. Man, he's my kind of guy. I, we grabbed hands and we hugged each other as we do every January. And he said, Mark, we're hurting out here. We're struggling. Pray for us. And I said, brother, what's going on? And I, I thought I knew some things that the news had shared, but here's someone right there on the ground. He said, our kids and our schools and our families have been shut down for so long, longer than any other place in this nation that we're losing our children. He said, my kids haven't played a ball game, haven't been to school to see their friends in over a year. And we see no soon return to some sense of normalcy. He said, we feel like we're losing our kids. He said, now let me say, we've never lived anywhere else than, than, the, than the East San Francisco Bay Area. We've never lived anywhere else. We're from here. We've raised all of our children here. They're involved in, in the sports and stuff. Everything from judo to wrestling to baseball. They're involved in it all. But he said, we're about to lose our children. And this big old bruiser of a man looked at me and he said, we're going to have to move. I said, where, where in the world would you go, man? You got your home here, your job here. He said, well, I'm coming to God's country. I said, you coming to Oklahoma? And he said, we're coming. This was January. By March 1st, they had made this massive move with the family of seven. He found a good job in Tulsa. He moved his family and immediately his kids got back in school, were able to get into sports. And he said, our, our children were saved just in the nick of time. He said, we went through many a battle that I can't even talk about with our children in isolation and being totally shut down from being kids. And he said, could you help us with some churches and I'll give you several. He said, we need a house. I said, man, there's a Cracker Jack uh, realtor that's there in Tulsa that'll get you a house before you can wake up the next morning. And they got him a house. And then so about middle of March, I'm there at my old home church in Claremore, Oklahoma, First Assembly, where I was raised. And I, and I come up to preach and I'm greeting my, my home church that I, where I was raised and I look out there and there's a family of seven sitting across the, they saw on Facebook, I guess, where I was gonna be 30 minutes from them. And when I saw them, I hugged all seven of them and loved on them and he said with tears in his eyes, Mark, we got our life back. We're away from our family, we left our friends we had to leave our church, we had to leave our jobs, but our children are more important than what we enjoy. And you know, that father, that spoke volumes to me. Here was a man that made some moves that he didn't wanna make. He made some decisions that were not easy to make, but he put his wife and his children above himself. Now that's a godly father. That's a godly father that understands what may need to be done in times of, of difficulty. And so let me make it clear, something that I have uh, been reminding myself recently, the devil is a liar. Say it with me, the devil is a liar. John 8, says he is a liar, he's the father of lies, and Satan attempts to defeat us with strategy and deceit through well-laid well plans of deliberate deception. He begins by bombarding our minds with cleverly devised patterns of little nagging thoughts, suspicions, doubts, fears, wonderings, reasonings, and theories. He moves very slowly and he moves very cautiously because after all, well-laid plans do take time. He knows our insecurities, our weaknesses, and certainly our fears and always uses those against us. 
the devil's strong point and his strongest point would be patience. Through careful strategy and cunning deceit, Satan attempts to set up strongholds in our hearts and in our minds. What's a stronghold? It's an area in which we are held in bondage due to a certain way of thinking. So let me say it again. A stronghold is something that has developed because of a certain way of thinking. Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Can I get a witness? We know that God's word is truth. John 17, 17 makes it clear that God's word is truth. And I'm sick and tired of secular humanist and existentialist philosophers always babbling about what is truth. If you want to know what the truth is, it's summed up in those four words. Thy word is truth. Hallelujah. This is the living truth. This is the bread of life. This is the sword of the Lord that divides marrow from bone and truth from deception. This is the light of the world that still brings people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. This is the book that radiates hope to the hopeless and brings freedom to the captive and still breaks the shackles of misery over people's lives. This sacred book I'm holding in my hand is authored by God the Holy Spirit. I hold in my hand this morning a printed miracle. It has been burned by the Hitlers of the world only to rise up out of the ashes and become the sword of the living God. The atheistic communist, he rolls his fist in the face of God and says, God is not, but thundering back from the deep resources of heaven come these powerful words. Thy word is truth. Hallelujah. The word says about itself, the grass is going to wither, the flower, it'll fade away. But he said, my word will stand forever. This is the only book in print that can change your sin-stained life and make you whiter than snow. You can read Shakespeare, Shelley, Keats, and Byron, but here's what I'll tell you. They won't change you much. But once you begin to pour over the pages of God's word, your life will be radically and forever changed. There's healing power in his word. There's a redemptive power in his word. There's an anointing power in his word that makes the sinner forsake his way. This book still breaks the fetters of sin. I can't tell you how many times when this book has been proclaimed, I've watched God just literally take the shackles and the chains off of people's lives and I've watched them fall to the ground and then walk away free through the power of God's word. This book is more powerful than cocaine. It's more powerful than pornography. It's more powerful than the occult. If you'll read it and, and meditate on it and marinate in it, it will transform your life through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we need the power of God's word? Well, this really ought to start with the fathers. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put something on you. I'm gonna give you an assignment. You can take it or you can, you can chunk it. That's up to you. But every father ought to lead his house in the dedication to this book. More than field of stream, field and stream, more than auto mechanic, anything else. Nothing's more important than this book in your house. My dad was a high school education. My mother had a ninth grade education. But in the things of the spirit, they were very rich. They were not preachers, but they raised two of them because of their commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ 
and their commitment to the Word of God. My mother, with that ninth grade education, there were times I remember that she was challenged because of not going beyond ninth grade in just reading and certain things. And we never thought anything about it because she was such a champion of a mother. But you know, my dad, he made it through high school and got, got his high school education, but yet in the Word of God, he, he, was, he was always engaged and marinating in the Word. Even in the last days of his life, when he was in his early 80s and his body had been stricken with cancer, I'll never forget going over to his house and literally skin was stretched on bone. I could hardly even recognize my little dad anymore from the ravage of this pancreatic cancer that was about to take him. And yet he had his Bible open through pain, through discomfort, with people in the house, people out of the house. I'd walk in and dad would still be reading his Bible like he did in his 20s, like he did in his 30s, like he did in his 40s, like he did in his 50s. Because he said, this son, he said, this is where my strength lies. And while he was struggling physically, his spirit was strong as an ox because he was marinating himself and his mind in the word of God. Why do we need the importance of God's word? Why do we need to stay in God's word? Well, I read also from the Barna group something that alarmed me. 1,784 pastors are quitting the ministry every month. In the last year, I've had two colleagues that have committed suicide in ministry. My heart's very troubled over what I see. There's not a mask big enough, I can tell you, to protect us from everything going on in the world and everything that the enemy is dishing out against us. But God said, you don't really need a mask, but what you need is far greater. You need the whole armor that I've given you to suit up. If Guys, if you wanna know what to do every morning, what to wear and how to dress up for the day, dress yourself in the full armor of God so that the enemy sets his sights on you, it's not gonna have effect because you are totally committed to the Lord and in your commitment you have dressed up, you're ready so that every attack of the enemy that comes, you have been protected by the word of God and you will not be defeated, you will not be one of these stats that said, well, you never came back to church because you You'd rather stay home with your bad breath and your pajamas and your coffee and watch Pastor Brooks on your phone. You didn't fall prey to that lie of the devil. Hallelujah. And the Lord has given me three things I want to share with you this morning. And you can relax because I can guarantee you this. I still will not be preaching at 1155. So these snacks are good. There's three things the Lord spoke to me when we were in the height of our shutdown our schedule had been totally canceled from uh, the COVID situation, the church is not having service, going online. We immediately went from a full schedule, which God's blessed us always with a full schedule. But all of a sudden we had four months completely off with no chance of income. And so, you know, when, you're, when, when the devil touches your money, come on, fellas. Our DNA is the same about this. When the devil touches your money, he's, he, he's really gone where he should not have gone. Because we want to take care of our families. Our responsibility to provide for our families is woven into us by God himself. And it's something that, that speaks to us probably louder than anything else. Well, he messed with it. And I had four months, 16 weeks that had been totally wiped out. What did you do? Well, the first thing I did is I bought myself a new bass guitar. 
I thought, I'm going to buy myself a gift for COVID. I invested in myself. I knew a way to pay it back and with no interest, with zero interest. And so I did it. I, I blessed myself. I plugged that rascal in. And I thought, if I only had David Brooks with me right now in this man cave with his Telecaster or with that GNL that I saw in the office today, we could be picking the daylights out of some old school stuff, put Quint on the drums, and Lord, just help us, help somebody. I was excited. I started playing everything I was raised on, everything that has spoken to me, and then my kids tell me everything that's new that was just written last night. So I was plugging all that in and playing all that and just kind of going back. And the Lord began to remind me, you're going to have to marinate your mind in my word if you're going to survive this and come out stronger and not weaker. And we, we as men, we don't like the word weak, but we love the word strong. But if you want to be stronger, you're going to have to learn how to marinate your mind and your spirit in the word of God. And the three things the Lord spoke to me uh, was how to come through the challenges of life, not just what we've experienced, but certainly what may be ahead. Number one, don't just choose to survive a situation, but make a decision that you're going to thrive through the situation. Come on, you may still be anxious about leaving home. This season, however, does not have to be one of hibernation aimed at survival alone, but it's an opportunity to thrive. If you can trust God to go to the doctor, if you can trust God to go to Walmart and go, go to Lowe's, you can trust God to come for an hour and a half and sit in his presence and be a part of the family of God and not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching, be in his house. Be under the teaching and the preaching of God's word. Be around the, 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 the saints of God, the men and I draw my strength from just seeing you. I mean, just coming in today, I was greeted by so many people. Some of the older men in the church said, oh, I should have remembered you'd be here, Brother Perky. It's your slot every year. That meant so much to me. And I grabbed those guys and hugged them. And I said, thank you, fellas. Yeah, Pastor Books lets me have this little slot. And I'm so thankful to get to come. But we choose to thrive, not just survive. You can survive through intercession. You can pray for your spouse, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your fellow Christians. You can continue praying for frontline workers to stay safe and for leaders to act wisely. You can pray for peace to rule your city and for people's fears, frustrations, and anger to melt away. If prayer really changes things, then why aren't we praying to the degree that we should be? If prayer really changes things and circumstances, well, prayer, does prayer change God? No, he's the same, he never changes. Well, then what does prayer change? It, it basically changes us. We line up with God's word as we pray. We begin to pray God's word instead of just concentrating on all the junk going on. And then we start to see the changes that we desire when we pray in faith. Another way to thrive is to renew your study of God's word. Any fellas in here like marinated meat? Quint, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to us now. I, I got a steak not long ago called the tomahawk. It's about that thick. Still got the bone coming out. Looks like something Fred Flintstone would serve to his family on Father's Day weekend. It was just a mere 32 ounce. I thought that'll get us started and then we'll move into the real meal. 
But to, to get the best flavor out of that incredible steak, I don't buy them often, but it was a special occasion, and so I wanted, I wanted one, so I got four. Yeah, I wanted, you, you got that, didn't you? I wanted one, but I bought four. And so I marinated that rascal overnight in a special marinade. Come on, somebody. Oh, and when I took it out of that marinade and just let the excess drip, I kept what was left over because I'm going to, yea, I say unto thee, I'm going to brush it down at the appropriate moment. And when you marinate something, the marinade slowly begins to soak into the meat, giving it extra tenderness, extra flavor, and there's just nothing like a marinated steak. You may not like it, you may just like it plain, you know, but hey, it, it was really good. And then the Lord began to minister to me because I had just grilled that steak right before COVID started. So he knew how to appeal to me. He loves to come to me with food ideas. He has my undivided attention. Throw some fried okra on me and I'm your man. And all of a sudden he said, marinate your mind like you did that steak. You did it so cautiously, so carefully, so intentionally to get the desired end result. He said, you got 16 weeks ahead. They're gonna test everything you've ever known. So you better marinate your spirit in my word. And so I opened my Bible and here's the way our Sundays went for 16 weeks. I'd go up to the man cave, have a little praise and worship, play a little music. I'd study the word of God. I'd come down to my family and I'd say, all right, everybody, let's gather in the living room. I've got a word. I'd preach about seven, eight minutes, maybe 10 max. I'd give a devotional to my family. I'm still giving out. If it's not to a crowd somewhere in the world, it was to my family, my greatest crowd. And then I would serve my family communion. And we would serve the Lord and we would sing and we would testify and we would share and we would worship. And we just intentionally did what the Lord said to do to keep ourselves strong. Now, we may or you may have come through some difficult battles, but let me just tell you, life has more battles before us. I wish I could tell you that we'll never have another battle, but we're gonna have some more battles. We're gonna have some more tests but I've learned the secret. I've learned how to go to the power of his word, the sword of the spirit, and have that offensive weapon so matter, no matter what the enemy throws at me, any way I swing it, both sides of the edge is sharp. And that blade is sharp on either side. And I can come this way, I can come that way. And, and I am totally in control of my destiny and my victory when you take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Secondly, don't just endure difficult experiences, enhance them, enhance them. God has given us increase so that we will have influence and with influence an impact is made. Have you ever wondered why God has blessed your life? Have you ever wondered why the Lord blesses your business, your, your place of employment, whatever it may be? You know, my, my dad was a business owner with that high school education. He capitalized on being able to buy some insurance businesses. And he was able to run those and he retired at 55 and said to my brother and I, I've retired, I've sold out, I'm here to help my boys. Whatever you need, we'll make sure it happens. My, my dad served as a deacon for 42 years. I asked a couple of his pastors, they're, they're no longer here, they're with the Lord now, but I asked a couple of my pastors years ago, was my dad a good board member pastor or was he a booger? I think I knew the answer, but I just wanted to hear it from them. 
and their eyes would quickly moisten up and they'd put their arm around me and they'd say, Mark, your dad was a gift from God to my life and ministry. One pastor said, your dad was the kind of guy that, that if I asked for the moon, he'd wanna know, do you want it back by 4.30 or five o'clock? He said, your dad took my vision and he made it happen. He made it happen. When others would say, we can't do it, your dad would say, yes, we can. We can trust God. We can sow some seed. We can do what we need to do to make this happen. This is what God has spoken to our pastor. Let's get it done. And many times my dad was the only yes in a room full of no's. But he got it done. Our passion for Jesus can increase during these times of difficulty, both in devotion and in the care for our neighbors, especially those who are vulnerable and needy. Thirdly, and lastly, don't just wait out changes, pray in changes. This is so good. We're called to be agents of change. You know, I, I caught myself saying something that I had heard being said or heard someone else saying. I don't even remember where the uh, where it started, but I heard someone during this whole season of, of difficulty, challenge, someone said, hey, it is what it is. And so I remember one time, I think in front of my family, something that we felt like, hey, this can't change or this will never change or we can't do much about that. And I caught myself saying it is what it is. I was convicted over that statement. I went back and realized that that's Buddhism. When I said it is what it is, Buddhism encourages passivity to accept things as they are. Christians are called to see things transformed by the power of Christ. Come on somebody, we ought to pray in change and act in faith to see change. We can pray for miracles of healing. We can still pray for our land to be healed and for poverty and injustice and for our own hearts to turn continually to Jesus instead of practicing Buddhism and just flippantly saying, hey, it is what it is. Why don't we start saying, wait a minute. If he said it can change, then it can change because his word declares it. So let's start speaking it. Let's start thinking that way. Let's line our mouth up with God's word, come on somebody, and let's start saying it can change and it will change by the power and authority of his word. Amen. Got a little witness from the Holy Ghost there. Today's problems, let me close, today's problems that seem to be multiplying and intensifying, um, I wish I could say that everything's kind of over and I don't know, but one thing I do know is it's not going to affect my faith, my commitment, my love for my family, because I just posted on Facebook yesterday a little post, put a picture of my, my papa on there, and I just said, you know, Dad, you've been gone for several years now, but I think about you every day of my life. Now some of us have had champions for fathers and for that I know we're all very grateful. Others, maybe that father figure was not so stellar. For others, you might not have even had a father in your life. Your memories could be like mine, they could just be so great that you're just flooded and overjoyed with memories good memories, and then others I know are flooded with negative memories. But one thing I have learned 
is that even if a pattern has been dealt to you, a, a card has been dealt to you that was not so positive, you don't have to follow the negativity that you experienced. For example, I'll close with this example. My, a very close family member of mine buried his mom and dad within six months of each other. And his dad that I grew up very close to um, just was a champion to me. Now, he was not my dad, but he was a strong male figure in my life. He, he never missed a ball game. He was right there for everything I ever did. So he was very important in my life. And yet his son, who's one of my very best friends, said to me the day at his funeral, he said, Mark, your dad gave you something that I hope you never take for granted. And he was also close to my dad as I was close to his. And I said, well, what would that be? He said, my dad passed away here just a few days ago and I'm almost 56 this summer. I said, yeah, you're four years younger than me. And he said, yeah. He said, I know my dad loved me. I really do. But he never told me. And when he said that, Pastor, you, you should have seen the pain in his eyes. I mean, this man I'm talking about is a pastor of a great church. He's got great kids. He's got eight grandkids. He's got such blessing, but I've noticed when he's with his kids, he's very affectionate and he's very, very verbal and affirming. Why? Because what he said he needed most was more than just a dad that was in the stands applauding his rebounds or his three-point play or turning two in baseball, getting that double play. He said, what I really needed most, Mark, and I'm thankful for all of that. He said, don't get me wrong. He said, I've always honored my dad. He said, I just wish he'd have told me he loved me because I saw your dad always telling you and Mike how much he loved you. He'd kiss you right in public in front of everybody. I said, I know he didn't. I said, I loved every minute of it. I said, we towered over our father. But when he got in, us in his arms, he was verbal, he was affectionate. And for his generation, that was difficult. And we were very grateful. And I just saw the pain in someone's eyes, 56 years old, they just said, I just wish he'd have told me. I felt like he did. I mean, he provided for us and he, he was in the stands cheering my name and, you know, he bought my uniforms and my baseball gloves and my cleats and, and he, was, he was there, Mark, but what I needed more than that was him to put me in his arms and affirm me. Son, I love you more than anything in this world. He said, if I could have just heard that. He said, but I never got to hear it. And here we are today at his memorial service. And I'm not going to live in the past. I'm not going to let this deter me from what I want to be to my kids and my grandkids. And so whether or not you had a great example or you didn't, 
we have the opportunity, what's beautiful about coming to the Lord and being a new creature in Christ is we can change the past. Amen. We can change the things we want to change by implementing the things that will bring about the desired end result. I want uh, to ask one favor today before I pray over the dads and then um, turn this service back to Pastor Brooks for one brief item at the end. But I would, I would just love to invite every dad to stand in the house. Would you please? Every father, whether your kids are little, whether your kids are grown, they may be with you in church, they may live out of town, out of state, or even out of country. What a, what a great group of men you have, Pastor Brooks. And as Susie said, this is a reflection of your, of your leadership. And you, Pastor, are one of the finest men I know. And I've always loved you and respected you highly. I want every man to slip up your hands with me. If you would, let me pray over you. The lifting of hands is simply an act of surrender. Would you receive this prayer, Father? In Jesus' name, come on, everybody pray for these men standing. In the name of Jesus, I lift up fathers. Fatherhood and manhood is under attack from hell like it has never been before. But Lord, I thank you for strong men that have learned the secret of how to dress up daily in the whole armor of God that will give them the ability to be protected and shielded but also to be given offensive weapons to come back against and counter attack every attack of the enemy against their life, their family, their finances, their children, their marriage, their health. We are not victims, we are victors. We are not the ones being overcome, we are the overcomers. For greater is he who lives in us than he that is in the world. Thank you for the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And with that sword, Father, we will take it and we will quench every fiery dart, every attack of the evil one, and we will come through with victory in the name above every name. And I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone shouted amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. You may be seated, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Quickly, pastor's coming to receive this love offering. I wanna thank you so much for your partnership. Here's where we're at missions-wise. You know it's been our life's work. We've planted 67 churches thus far, and we've taken 86 overseas trips, preached 86 crusades. I felt like the Lord gave me a mandate some years ago to plant 100 churches and to preach 100 crusades overseas. And even though last year we were delayed, and distracted, I believe we are now starting to reopen, which we will strike while the iron's hot as God enables us. So how have you done it, Mark? What's been the secret? It's been real simple. It's just the simple love offerings of where we preach weekly. God has been so good to us in, in the simple love offering that we've been able to fund and we are in no debt whatsoever in our missions ministry. We've spent well over $1.2 million going overseas and ministering, and we have no indebtedness. For that, we give God praise. One thing I think you should know is that when the Perkies go overseas, we bless our missionaries. They don't have any responsibility 
for a cup of coffee, a meal, a hotel room, a flight. We pay for everything, no matter what it takes. God has rewarded us for that. He has honored that commitment so that when our missionaries see us coming, they don't dread it. They enjoy it because they know, hey, we don't have to do anything. They're just coming to work with us, to help us, to serve with us. And so thank you for sowing this morning. If everybody would sow a seed, not just the same 20% that give in most church offerings, but if everybody would just sow a seed, I wanna challenge every father, would you sow a seed for your family? Would you sow a seed for the future of your children? My dad sowed so many seeds. One man in the church came up to my dad and I overheard it. I was about 13. My brother was already gone from home and was in the ministry. A man came up to my dad and he said, Bill, I know you're not a wealthy man, but why do you give like you give beyond your tithe and offering? And here's what my dad's answer to that man was. He said, you know, in case the Lord would call both of my boys in the ministry, I want to set them up to succeed because if I'm a giver, God will send men to them to make their ministry happen. He said, so I'm just setting them up. And my dad truly did set my brother up to set us up to succeed by his loving and by his giving. And because of that, God has always sent people to us and we thank you for your investment. Thank you for your help.